Right. Let's turn together to Isaiah 35. Um, I said this at the Mason party yesterday. You know, that song, nowhere in that song does it talk about Jesus being born. Nowhere. Nowhere in the whole song. And that's because it was not written about the birth of Jesus. It was written about the second coming of Jesus. That is a, that is a future song. That is a second advent song. Um, and so, uh, but it's, you know, part of this time of year, probably because Advent is like always mixing those, those things together, right? Advent means arrival and which arrival, the first arrival in Bethlehem or the second arrival that's like in the future. And the answer is both. That's what, that's what we're celebrating or both of those things. Jesus was, he promised that uh, God promised that the Messiah would come and he did. And now he's promised the Messiah will come again and he will. And so that song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Yes, it fits the first, arri- the first advent, the first arrival, but it's really about the second one. And so that pointing forward, that's what this season is built into the church calendar for, is to make sure that we remember it. And so here we are in between those arrivals on a timeline, and we're, we're having to like figure our way through it a little bit. And um, I said this for a few weeks now. There's this this quote from Vince Lombardi where he told his players. His, he, he, Vince Lombardi is like the ultimate NFL football coach, and he said, "When you find yourself in the end zone, you need to act like you've been there before. Like we're a t- we're a football team. We're supposed to score touchdowns. Don't act like this is some like unprecedented event that just happened. It's like no, this is what we do." And Thinking about that in terms of Advent may make no sense to you, but what I keep thinking about is that the people of God have done this before. Like the people of God have been under a set of promises that they were waiting for God to keep before. Um, maybe not you and I specifically, but as the like the children of the Lord, the sons and daughters of God have done this before, and they wrote it down. You know, like like we 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 know that they have been in this waiting period before. And so what I've been doing on Sundays is trying to talk about the things that both of those are Advents have in common. Uh, the first week talked about how both Advents have a set of promises that you're waiting to be fulfilled. Second week, they both Advents will involve light and darkness. Uh, the first time, light entering into darkness, and the second time, darkness being done away with forever. And Today I want to talk about that that idea of waiting. Both Advents involve waiting. And so I want to look at what waiting looked like for the first Advent and then what waiting looks like in the second Advent. So um, the thing about waiting is that it's terrible. Right? It's, it's the worst. Um, we don't like to wait. Our culture is getting worse and worse at that. Um, I know that like when you go back a generation or two or three, it seems like the like the patience of like those like like that like World War II generation, let's say, they were a patient group of people. And we not so much nowadays. We do not like to wait. Um even in our waiting, we have now like like have we have to have things to occupy us. 
So now we have smartphones, and so if you're ever in a waiting situation, you look around like everyone's like looking at their phone or you know whatever it may be, talking to someone, texting someone, scrolling the internet, whatever it might be. Uh, that is like kind of how we wait typically. Prior to that, you guys probably remember if you were in line at a grocery store and it was taking a long time, you would uh, there's all these like really high quality magazines sitting there, right? The Inquirer and such. Uh, and so you'd look at these ridiculous headlines and those kind of things. And part of that is to try to get you to buy stuff. But also, like, it occupied you. You know, if you were in the doctor's office and there's uh, magazines there, if you took your kid to the pediatrician, there's Highlights magazine. Remember that? And how mad you would get when someone else did the word search already. You know, like, who does that? Um, there, there are things that, like, culturally, would be like, oh, people, they get impatient, so we have to do something to occupy them. And it seems to be getting worse. I feel like the fuse is getting shorter in terms of patience. And waiting is uh, waiting for like the Lord to return. That's like I'm in a whole other category, you know. But the first advent, they waited from Genesis three until Luke chapter two. Now that's there's a lot of pages in that span of time, but it's like four thousand years. Four thousand years from the very first proclamation of the Messiah to come, which is Genesis 3, and they waited all the way until he showed up. The tail end of that, there was 400 years. They called the 400 years of silence. Here's why. Because from Genesis 3 until that 400 years of silence, um, God was, was like keeping them, like keeping their attention through, the, through prophets. They were kind of like God's like megaphone that he would speak to through his people and these prophetic words, that's why we go to Isaiah, we go to Jeremiah, we go to you know Ezekiel, we go to some of these like these those major prophets in the sense that they're they're writing, they wrote like volumes. And then they have the minor prophets, which are all like the shorter books in the back, not minor in terms of significance, but in terms of like volume. Um, we have all these prophets that God was speaking to his people, and that and that would kind of spur them on and remind them of things. And sometimes they had good leaders and they had bad leaders and things like that. Um, but then there's 400 years where God didn't speak through the prophets at all. 400 years. And yet, when Jesus did arrive, when that first advent happened, there was a faithful remnant. Like there were generations of people that had taught the next generation and taught the next generation that, hey, God made this promise to us that he was going to send a redeemer and it's going to come through the line of David. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. There's some things that we know, but God promised us this, and he's going to take care of us because we're his kids. That's what he does. And one generation taught the next. And maybe it wasn't Maybe there it wasn't a huge remnant, but there was a remnant. We know that, and we'll look at that in just a few minutes. And when Jesus was taken to the temple for purification, there was a remnant there, and they were like, oh, wait, we know. We know who this kid is. We know him. That's an impressive thing to me, that over that long span of time, that there were people who were willing to wait and listen to the prophets and believe the Lord and teach their children who grew up to become adults, who then had children and they taught their kids and how in the world did this not just fizzle out? You know, how is this not just a myth that we read about in a history class? Um, part of it is the the promises that they were holding on to. Like this was 
this was significant. So Isaiah 35, I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, I'm not going to teach on it. I just want, I really want us to get a sense of why, why this survived, you know. So here's a very poetic description of what is to come with the Messiah. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and and, uh, sighing shall flee away. Okay, so if you're, let's say that you're a parent and your child is like, Dad, why in the world? Why are we like waiting? God's forgotten us or doesn't exist or whatever it is, you know. You're a mom, your kid looks at you and it's like, Mom, why why do you believe this stuff? And you start quoting that to him. You start casting a vision for that. You say, This has been promised to us. This is what we are waiting for. Every bit of this will be worth it. You'll see. It's like we sang about earlier. It, we're going to know that it's worth it. But now we can know that now. Sometimes life happens and it gets a little it gets a little hazy. You know, I don't think I don't think that Jesus shames us because we admit sometimes it's hard to be certain that it's worth it. I think we see that even in even in Jesus going to the cross and going through the Garden of Gethsemane and and all of that kind of stuff. I I think that he can identify with the fact that yes, yeah, sometimes life throws stuff at you and it's hard to. Hard to maintain that joy. It's not lost on him. But yet there's a deeper belief of like but no, we'll we'll see. He's faithful. So they built their lives around this. They listened to the prophets that God sent. They reminded one another. They practiced the sacrifices. They did the festivals. They they prayed the prayers. They did what God told them to do. And the truth is, if you know the history of Israel, it was, it was back and forth. You know, There are times when they were really, really faithful. 
And there were times when they were not. There are times when this idea of the Messiah coming to them was like they were like really, really awake to that and alert and focused. And then times when there was it was it would slumber, you know, and they had to be reminded. But when Jesus showed up, there were people there who were like, no, we've been waiting on him. That survived for 4000 years. That's incredible. You know. They waited Some of them not very well, but some of them really, really well. Otherwise, Jesus gets here and there's no, no, we don't know what's going on. This is confusing. And so, how did they? How did they do that? Like, how did that survive? What? What was it? You know. Let me skip forward to the to the next arrival, the advent that is to come. So the first the first advent was from Genesis three. To Luke 2, okay, like 4,000 years. Now, this next arrival is from the ascension of Jesus all the way until he, until this moment, let's say, and then whenever he shows up. So, what is that, what is that going to look like? Because a part of what helped them wait is because they knew what they were looking for line of David, uh, born in Bethlehem, those kinds of things. They knew some specifics about the prophecies. Um, what are we, what are we waiting for? Uh, let me let me give you a, a, a very very broad stroke rundown of what we're, what that will all entail um, because we've been we've been like very poorly discipled in this uh, largely through like especially like like in the last you know several decades through the like left behind uh, series and those those kind of things and then there's a study Bible. That was uh, p- published by Moody Publishing. That had a lot that uh, they cranked out all these study Bibles all around America, and so this like kind of like obsession with the end times has been around for a while. So um, here's here's just a r- really quick. This is just my explanation uh, of it. So uh, what are we waiting on? All right, the the first thing is that the first thing we know for sure is that Jesus is going to show up. And that's the best part, right? Like Jesus will show up. And um, we don't know if that's going to be like a literal, like whenever he ascended, uh, he's on the Mount of Olives, he ascends into heaven. And the disciples are standing around like, what did we just watch? And an angel is like, hey, this same Jesus that you just saw ascend into heaven is going to return the same way that he came. So some believe that that's the like physical place on the globe, like the GPS point, that if your timing is the best that's ever existed, you'll be like, oh, look, there he is. Um, but that's where it's going to happen. Um, others say that really what the angel is saying is that like his return will will not be a spiritual return. It will be a like body, like the physical flesh and bones m- human man Jesus will like will return. Um, this won't be like a sense that we get or whatever. Like you'll be able to like look at him just like you're able to look at one another today. Um, that in bodily form he will come back to us. And so somehow he will appear. Uh, we don't really know necessarily what's going to happen or how we're all going to know and all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure he's got a plan for that, for notifications to go out. Um, and so he's going he's gonna to appear, and then the, uh, there will be the, like the resurrection of the saints. And so right now, those who have, who have passed away, who are in the Lord... Um, 
they are not walking around heaven. They're, uh, what happened to Jesus happens to you and happens to me. So when Jesus died, his body went to the tomb. His uh, soul, spirit went to be with the Lord. And so that's what happens to us. When, if, if you are, like most of us, missing people this time of year, uh, some of you are coming along that it's the first Christmas since you lost someone or or some you may have lost them 50 years ago and you still it's just you still can't really engage the holidays the same way that's that, that's grief that's how it goes and um, as you're missing them and you're thinking about them uh, their bodies have been buried or you know they've been cremated or however it doesn't really matter um, their bodies are in the ground their soul spirit is with the Lord. And after Jesus appears, there will be a, a reunification of those. The body, soul, spirit will come back together, just like we see with, with Jesus. And so at, at his resurrection, his body and spirit were reunited, and he walked out of the tomb. And, uh, and so that's going to happen, that those who have, and I don't know what that's going to look like, so don't ask me too many specifics on this. It sounds kind of wild. I think it will be wild. And that's kind of the point. Um, unprecedented is truly a word for that. And so uh, the resurrection will happen, and the, that that reuniting will happen, um, but not so much a reuniting with the like the same body. So when Jesus came out of the tomb, he didn't like hobble out as someone who had just been like beaten to death. He walked out. He was healed. And so that reunification will be with a like a glorified, healed, physical body. Um, and so Jesus has chosen to maintain his scars, and I think there's really, really good reasons for that. And that's a whole other sermon. Um, but other than other than the scars, there Jesus is like a, the picture of what will happen to us. Um, and so we'll have that glorified body. There'll be that reunification moment. Um, and there will be a judgment moment. And God will say to all of those who have just to his face rejected him, um, I'm not going to force you to be around me anymore. I'm not going to force you to be in my presence, to be around my light or my love or my grace or anything else like that. Um, you want nothing to do with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you've always wanted. Um, and that will... That will be a thing, and that will be awful. Um, to those who are in in Christ, he will say, uh, enter into the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the very beginning of the world. Um, and uh, the the saints, which would be any anyone here who's in Christ, will, whatever that looks like, enter into this. Like there will be a, that separation moment. Um and there's lots of questions that come up about what about what about this group? What about this part of the world where like they're like no one's ever gotten a missionary to them and no one's ever brought a Bible there? And what about this? And there's so many questions there that are it's just a part of the burden of just us not really knowing, you know. And I'm not here as any sort of like theological expert to tell you all the different like views and all those kinds of things. Here, let me just give you my answer to that is that in that moment those who reject the lord uh, he's going to give them what they want those who accept the lord like who are like you are my lord you are my savior i am yours you are mine let's do this he's gonna say come on in 
And if it's not that clear cut, I think we have to default to the character of God. I wasn't planning on talking about this, so don't. I think God's going to do the right thing in that moment, whatever it is. We may agree with it. We may disagree with it. We may, he's going to do whatever he does is going to be the right thing because he will not suddenly become someone else in that moment. Uh, he will be holy. He will be perfect. Um, and, uh, and it's his call, which I'm great with. Are you great with that? I'm totally great with him making the, just doing what he wants to do. Um, and so from there, with, with um, those who have rejected him, uh, he will, he'll put away sin and death and the devil and everything forever. He'll put a permanent end to just all that. And then he'll have those who are like, yes, let's, let's do this. And he'll say, all right, it's time to, I'm going to make it all new. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Nobody really knows what it's going to look like in terms of like how it's going to happen, but... He's not going to take us away off to some like, oh, no, no, heaven's like really like way off in this other part of the universe. I'm going to take you there. Uh, he's like, no, like I'm, heaven's here. He will make, it's the new heavens and the new earth. Like he will recreate this place where we are. Um, and some believe that, that it's a matter of like restoring it to what Eden was like, like, it, like before sin broke it. And some think that it's like that, but even better, like he'll like recreate Eden as well. Uh, whatever it is, it's going to be fantastic. And um, there will be no darkness there. There will be no Mason de Ami or hope of life there. There will be no, no cancer. There will be no car accidents. There will be no tornadoes that rip through uh, six states in the middle of the night. You know? um, all the things that break our hearts, we won't carry them forward with us. That will all be put to an end with Sin and death and the devil. Like that's done. And so he'll have this new heavens and this new earth, and then we'll we'll get to like learn how to be us, but without sin having broken us, without darkness invading certain things, without us wondering if God loves us or cares, or does anybody think I'm important, or you know, all of the things that go through our our, our hearts and our minds, none of that stuff will be there. We'll just get to like be like, oh, this is this is who I was created to be the whole time. Got it. This is fantastic. And somehow time will pass. But yet we, you don't really age, you know, because this this eternal life. You just will live forever. And if you're worried that heaven is going to be like a super long uh, worship service, I don't, that's not really what the Bible points to uh, I saw something the other day that that was joking of saying like uh, we'll get to sing the Lord forever, but the bad news is the song is Waymaker, <laughs> which I really I appreciated that joke. Um, the new earth will be like will be like living. It's not going to be one long worship service. It's going to be what life was intended to be. Like we don't really know exactly what it's going to look like, but. Um, Jesus will be there. There'll be no doubt that he's there. I hope that you are all there. I hope that you've said yes to him. I will be there because I've said yes to him, and I believe that he keeps his promises. So 
uh, I'll be there if you want to hang out. Let's do it. Yeah, be great. And so that's a very uh, non-theological explanation of what we're waiting on. But the sense of that is like, okay, I, when I think about it in those terms, when I read the end of Revelation and some of the parts in the beginning and not so much in the middle, I'm like, that's so worth it to me. You know? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's that take that verse takes on different life, right? So we are we're people who wait for that. That's who we are, it's what we do. We have some incredible promises that God is holding out to us. The most important being that Jesus says, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get things ready. And I'm going to take you to where I am so that where I am, you can be there too. That's the best one. With that comes all the, all the other stuff. No more pain, no more crying, no more death, all that stuff. And so how are we supposed to wait? How did they wait in the Old Testament? As I said, some of it was, it was those prophecies. Some of it, it's, it's the scriptures. It's the promises of God. Ways that he has communicated to us, it's going to be worth it. Here's what is ahead. You need to hang in there. And it's us believing that those things are real. That was the first week that I talked about. These are the promises. Do we believe that these are real or not? The second week, do we believe that light has come into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome the light? And that he's going to put away darkness forever. Like, we're not going in reverse, at no point ever will darkness be alone in its dominance. And so are we believing that? And are we believing that our waiting is purposed? You know, That we're not just spinning in circles, that we're not just kind of a part of some weird myth. We're a part of this belief system that is, has seen promises made and kept, and so we keep going. But how do, how do we do it? Like, what should our internal life look like? What's the life of the mind look like? What should our, like, how do we just not stand in the, like, where we're standing in the line at Walmart and, like, take out our phone and we're just kind of mindlessly, like, oh, I, I, this is taking way too long and how I got to occupy myself? Like, how do we not waste our waiting? Um, turn to Luke chapter 2, if you would. I might have already told you that. I can't remember sometimes. I want to just run through really quickly um, how Jesus prepared his disciples to wait. Now, Mark 13, which you don't need to turn to, but we studied all our way through Mark over like a six-year period, it feels like, and so you probably remember it all. Uh, Mark 13 is Jesus is preparing them, his disciples, for the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming and the destruction of the temple that is coming. And uh, as he is preparing them, like that's the primary thing that he's addressing. Uh, but then your like Bible scholar theologians are like, yeah, he's, he is talking about that. That's primary. But there is a secondary thing he's addressing, which is like this like bigger like second coming of the Lord as well. Like he's coaching his disciples in how to wait uh, in the midst of these like uncertain things and maybe some di- really difficult things. Um, because, as, as you and I know, 
if you have like read Revelation and stuff, it could get crazy at some point. Like we don't really don't really know. Um, and that, that's not something we're supposed to be afraid of, but something we're supposed to be aware of. That yeah, things are getting worse, right? Like wouldn't you agree that things are getting worse? Uh, the like it's it's devolving, and so that should not scare us. We should be aware of it, and we should recognize the fact that 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 is getting us closer. We shouldn't obsess over every event that happens in the Middle East by any means, but we should recognize like. When you see the news and you see the report about the tornadoes going through uh, the other the other night, like that should remind us that Christ is coming. You know, and so Jesus is preparing his disciples here, and he's preparing us as well in a secondary sense. Let me just tell you some of the like the ways that this is what he tells them to do. Um, in Mark, in verse five, he says, "See that no one leads you astray." Like as we are waiting. We have to be really discerning about the voices that are speaking into our lives. And I would say that's everything from discipleship to the books that we read, the pastors that we listen to, the podcasts that we obsess over, uh, and everything else. We have to be really discerning because there's a lot of different ways that you see a lot of paths out there. And for me, being people of the word is really, really important. Like, in the in a, the sense of like this is the like authority that we are tethered to. This is what helps me know if a preacher or a podcaster or a blogger or whatever it is that help me helps me know if they're like uh, on the right track or not is like that is anchoring to the word. So as we wait, we have to be careful not to be led astray. And then he says, "Do not be alarmed." As I said, we're aware, but we're not alarmed. We're not panicking. We're not freaking out about stuff. He says, be on your guard. He tells them, you're going to, like, as my followers, you're going to be targeted in in the fall of Jerusalem in the temple. Like, it's going to happen. And I'm not sitting here saying, like, Christians are getting targeted and all that kind of stuff of, like, in some sort of, like, weird kind of way. I'm saying in a way of, like, yeah, we should probably expect that. Like, don't be shocked and offended and appalled. It's what he tells us is going to happen. Like it's, it's how it is. People are going to, they're going to hate the truth. They're going to chase after lies. They're going to chase after the things that their itching ears want to hear. That's what he tells us. So like, don't, you're going to be on your guard. And he says, don't be anxious. Okay. We don't need to be fearful. We need to be wise with heavenly wisdom. We need to be, you know, all that stuff, but not, Terrified of what's ahead. He, he refers to uh, all this as, as birth pains. Or pang. I think maybe it used to be pang maybe back, back in the day. But anyway, apparently birth is very painful. And on the other side of birth is, new, is life. And so Jesus in this chapter is like, hey, like these are birth pains, Okay. It's going to be rough, but don't don't forget what that's leading to. Pretty good, right? Verse 13, stand firm, endure to the end. Okay, don't forget that new life is waiting for you, that it's going to be worth it. And he closes the chapter with five different references to either you're either awake to this or you're asleep to this. 
He's like, do not slumber your way through this. This needs to be something we are awakened to all the time. Now he tells this to his disciples. They must have put it into practice because they made it through the fall of Jerusalem and their their faith kept going. The persecution actually drove them to evangelize more and share the gospel more. To the point where Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 22 he has this little word that's worked in there in Aramaic, and it's Maranatha. When I've seen churches, churches called that, or there used to be a worship, uh, like a record label called that back in the early praise and worship days. Maranatha uh, is, was like this short prayer of the early church that, that they would speak over one another or to one another, that when they prayed, when they worshipped, when they were together, there was this sense of Maranatha, which means specifically, our Lord come. This was a part of how they, how they thought, how they felt. It was like their theology about this was like a front and center part of how they lived their lives. Part of the urgency of sharing the gospel, part of the generosity of the New Testament church was this this whole thing of like Jesus entrusted us with this mission. We we got we're gonna do this because he's coming back for us. People need to know. Maranatha. They they wanted it. They prayed for it. They longed for it. At the very end of the Bible, Jesus says, uh, "Surely I am coming soon." And the response of the church is, "Amen. Come, Lord Jesus." Like that's that's how we wait. So Jesus prepares them by telling them those, those, those very things that I went through just a second ago. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Do not be alarmed. Be on your guard. Do not be anxious. Stand firm. Endure to the end. Be on guard. Keep awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Says it again. And they took him seriously. And they did that. And they taught other people to do that. To the point where common among them was this Maranatha prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, our Lord, come to us. They were marked by the second coming. And in church history, when Advent became, and they built this church calendar, and they said, we need to be reminding one another that our Lord is coming. So how about every year as we wait for Christmas, we also wait for the second coming. So that we... Don't forget. So that it's built into how we process life. That we are the we are like Maranatha people. You're in Luke 2. We close by pointing out two Maranatha people. If you want specific ways of like how am I supposed to be right now, here's two really great examples. Verse 22 in chapter 2. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, being Mary and Joseph, brought him, being Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Okay, so um, Mary and Joseph, uh, 
because that was their, like those specific animals, that was like the poorest of the poor. It's what they could afford. And so Jesus, born into poverty, born as a firstborn, uh, all of which in Israel were, were like dedicated to the Lord's service. And so they, being faithful, went to do this. And they run into this guy named Simeon. Look at 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, listen to this description, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, to be described in one sentence like that would be like a life goal, right? Like that's what you want on your tombstone. He was righteous. She was devout. Waiting for the second coming of the Lord. Holy Spirit all over. Like I look at that and I'm like, okay, if I need to try to have like someone faithful to pattern my life after in terms of my waiting, Simeon's a pretty good example. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consoling of Israel. The Redeemer to come. Righteous. His life was consistent with the holiness of God. Devout. He's devoted to it. Empowered by the Spirit. To the point where, if you were to keep reading the story, he walks up to him and he's like, I know who this baby is. They're like, what? And he starts rolling. Like to be waiting in that regard where we're not surprised when Jesus appears. It's like, yeah, no, no, sounds about about right, right on schedule. We're not caught off guard because we are awake to it. Right after that, they meet Anna. Look at the next, look at 26. Sorry, 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Listen to this description of her. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So there's a remnant, there's people there waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There, there's a group that's waiting. It's not just these two, there's a group of them. And she like sees the baby and is like, I gotta tell people. I gotta tell the ones who are waiting that he's here. She's worshiping, she's praying, she's fasting, she's like giving thanks to the Lord, and she's telling people. About the Messiah. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, these are people that, these are the Maranatha people. This is who I want to be when I grow up, kind of thing. This is, I want to be found faithful like this. I bet you do as well. And so as we wait, this, this marks us. This is part of who we are. This is not something that in the New Testament church was like an afterthought. 
This was a part of their rhythm, how they communicated, how they prayed, how they made their decisions, and drove them in their generosity and in their evangelism. And this was a big deal. And I'm so thankful that the church fathers who did the church calendar thing were like, hey, we, we need to put this in the rhythm because it's very easy to forget. And so I hope that Advent is serving as that reminder for us that's either bringing an awakening to us or spurring us on in that awakened state that we would be driven to be righteous and devout and wait for the consolation of Israel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we would worship and pray and fast and give thanks to the Lord and tell uh, tell uh, speak of him to everyone who is waiting, whether they know they're waiting on Waiting or not. This impacts how we interact with people. It impacts our workplace. It impacts how you engage your coworkers during this season, how you engage your neighbors, how you engage your family, how you engage your, the stranger. I mean, it's who are we going to be as we go through the streets of the city? You know, are we Maranatha people? Well, let's let God keep marking us and reminding us of this very thing. Let me read one passage of scripture, then I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing. This is in First Thessalonians, verse uh, chapter five. Paul is writing to them about the second coming. He says, starting in verse four, he says, "But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day." We are not of the darkness. I'm sorry, we're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He's telling them this is, this is who we are. Telling them and telling us. Let's receive that. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you that um, we are reminded in so many ways. We're reminded through the scriptures. We're reminded through the church calendar. We're reminded through songs. We're reminded through one another. That you have, uh, you've like we're we're under these promises right now. Like we're we're spoken for in that way. We're committed to in that way. And yes, life can throw a lot at us, and it's easy to forget. And so, may these days be full of reminders for us, but the kind of reminders that that become you know permanent for us. Would you continue to mark us? You know, that we would be Maranatha people. That we would teach our children to not fear the day. That we would remind them that, yes, life can be hard right now, but this this will come to an end. And that Jesus has this perfect future for us. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who 
who hears all this and is uncertain about their standing with you and what a relationship with you looks like. I pray that as we sing, that you just speak to their hearts and minds, begin that conversation, and that today could be the day of new life. pray or just respond Um, would you keep stirring in our hearts the things that you have for us as we lift your name high above all the names